here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. is Everything Evolves, the world's only podcast devoted exclusively to Evolve Wrestling and the secret best wrestling podcast in the world. We are a proud member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network, which you can find at VoicesOfWrestling.com or on the podcast app of your choice. You can also find the Everything Evolves podcast feed independently of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network on iTunes. Though we, of course, encourage you to check out all the shows on the network. You can follow us on Twitter at EvolvePod. I'm at Aaron Like the Car, and Aaron Taub is at AP Taub. I guess I didn't say we're the wrong boys. We're your hosts, but you know that by now. You've been uh, rocking with us for 12 episodes. We're back for another one. I really, I mean, I got to do this. If you're the type of person who only checks in for the review episodes and you're not, uh, riding with the preview episodes, you've got to check out our most recent episode, Everything Evolves 11. Look, it's gotten a lot of buzz on Twitter. That's all I'm saying. A lot of people liked it. It did lead to someone calling this the secret best wrestling podcast in the world. So you got to check it out. We talk a lot about the whole backstory behind uh, the story that Aaron and I wrote about our conversations with Gabe Sapolsky that led to uh, a lot of drama. So I think you want to hear about how we uh, went through that, what we decided to do, our decision-making process, and everything that, that went down around that whole situation. And we get into wrestling journalism, such as it is, and why it's important and why it has failed thus far. So we, we talk about that a lot on that episode. I highly suggest that you go check it out. AT, is it weird to be plugging our own show on our show? No. We should absolutely, uh, we should plug all of our stuff on the show. Okay. Look, the big thing that's going on that we have to start with is the end of Evolve. If you've been following along, you saw the videos that started to come out on the Evolve Twitter feed. Uh, you saw the emails that came out in place of the usual WWN alerts, where it was heavily teased that the promotion was ending. And with this all coming Right behind the article that we posted where uh, we reported that Gabe told us he was just about done with this whole indie bullshit, in his words, kind of led you to believe, like, maybe this was Gabe's way of finding an out. At this point, I think it's probably stupid to talk about the leaky Gabe 
account, which uh, went away. But of course, it carried some suggestions that Gabe was on his way out. Also, which uh, anyway, that was stupid. But there was this whole groundswell of thought that maybe Gabe was going to leave Evolve and the transition period was transitioning into a world where, where Gabe wasn't there. Or maybe transitioning into a world where Evolve didn't exist, although I, I kind of didn't see that happening. So we were all talking a lot about where's Gabe going to go with this. Gabe's really good. We, we said this last week or on our last episode. Gabe's really good at these uh, these sort of meta angles where he's kind of working the fans, you know, to try to – uh, get some uh, get some excitement going for the show. Well, we don't want to spoil everything for you, but we're going to have to talk about how this angle played out at the top of the show to to really set the set the scene. So the the first time that we find out what the end of Evolve is is pretty quickly uh, after the first main match on Evolve ninety four on Saturday night in Laboom which uh, featured Chris Dickinson defeating Jason Kincaid. Suddenly a graphic comes up that says the end. You're like, all right, well, this angle is about to pay off and we'll see what's going on. And uh, some new metal came on over the speakers. And we get guys who we later found out were Drennan, Odinson, and Perot, who are three, uh, well, two big dudes, and Drennan's not that big, from FIP. They came out, attacked Dickinson attack Kincaid, and they continue to do that throughout uh, Evolve 94 and Evolve 95. So essentially, what we have here is uh, an invasion-type angle. It's not that the promotion is is ending in any real way or that uh, there's going to be some way of playing with us to make us think Evolve is going away. We just got three dudes from a promotion that's probably defunct now uh, coming in and, and trying to beat up some dudes and cause some chaos. At, were you disappointed initially with with the angle, or how did it strike you like at that first moment when it when it first happened? Yeah, well, I was disappointed ultimately by the angle, and we'll talk more about that. Um, I don't know when you want to do that, but but yeah, I was I was into it at first, right? Because it's like you know they have this it's, they got this new video screen that they had with them at both shows. And the end is the only group with their own graphic. And it's cool that they have their like signature attack style where their music plays throughout the attack. And yeah, they look good. I mean, it was two scary looking dudes and a third guy who's like the guy who's like calling the shots. And, you know, they beat people up and it came off well, I would say. You know, it's just like big dudes doing big dude things. And, and, uh, yeah, they were intimidating. And I think that they, you know, I, you couldn't really hear the crowd as well over their music because it was playing the whole time. But people at the show said that they came off really well. And yeah, I was, I was into it from, from the beginning. Yeah. Yes. I, we will, I'm sure, talk more about it as we go on. But I thought it was important to talk about how that all happened from the beginning. Because the big thing that I took out of this was that, you know, Gabe wasn't lying in the, in the email when he said that uh, they're in a trans, that evolves in a transition period. The question is, what do they transition to? We knew coming in that it was probably going to, you know, you kept talking about new talent. I already expected it was going to be guys that most people, not that people hadn't heard of, you know, but not established guys. That's kind of what I was expecting. But 
it makes you wonder what the promotion is going to be because for so long it's been, yes, there have been guys who are on the come up for sure that have been in this promotion, but it's also been kind of a collecting place for high-level indie talent. Uh, maybe they're on their last stop before Evolve, I mean before NXT, or maybe they've just kind of reached the pinnacle of indie wrestling, and so they're going to come and ply their trade here. We saw that, I mean, Keith Lee definitely is a transition guy. You know, he kind of, he's older, but he hadn't really made his name. And then he comes to Evolve, and he's making his name more and more, not just because of Evolve, but for other things. You know, and Matt Riddle and, and Zack Sabre are in different positions. But we would see guys like Leo Rush come in, guys like Kyle O'Reilly. Uh, we've seen ACH. You know, he's in a in a limbo or something right now, so we're not real sure. But we had that high level of talent. And now you wonder, based on the guys that we saw come in this weekend, the, the people who were featured other than uh, Zach and Keith Lee and Matt Riddle, is Evolve going to continue to be a major league promotion? Is it at the top of the indies anymore from a from a work perspective, from a presentation perspective? Or is it going to become a promotion with, you know, kind of mid-level guys? And, and if it's going to be filled with guys who are trying to make their name, they're not all going to work out, right? Some of them are going to be busts. So before where Gable kind of sprinkle in uh, a guy here and there who was – uh, trying to make his name, they didn't all need to succeed. And not even the majority of them needed to succeed. But now the the promotion is being put in a position where so many of these guys, it looks like, are going to have to do really well or the promotion is really going to suffer as a result. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the end of Evolve 95, the four baby faces standing tall in the ring are Brandon Watts, Jason Kincaid, Shane Mercer, and Darby Allen. So two of those guys were not really part of, you know, Brandon Watts had appeared before. Um, I forgot to check if Shane Mercer had appeared on any of all shows previously, but like neither of them are like in the promotion. And then Darby Allen and Jason Kincaid are, though we've seen them try to, you know, be elevated, you know, over the past six months with Darby Allen's Ethan Page feud and, um, Jason Kincaid being involved in a main event angle back in Michigan a few months back. Um, these aren't really main event level guys. These are guys who are lower down the card and also guys, all four of them are people who are not in main events in sort of the other big super indies, right? These would, these people would never be at or even like super close to the top of the card at an AAW or a CZW or a PWG, or, or anything like that. So, yeah, I think you raise a good point of, of whether or not this is going to be sort of that elite tier indie in terms of perhaps not the quality of the talent, because, you know, these these guys have stuff to prove. But um, certainly in the name value that they have and sort of... Um, if not their potential, certainly their resume. They don't have elite resumes right now. Um, and who knows? Like, maybe that's more interesting. Because to me, like, as someone who's very invested in storylines and stuff, it's probably more fascinating to see someone like a Shane Mercer who came in and I thought looked really good, you know, B 
be here every month and be involved in storylines and, and do his thing and sort of, I'll build this attachment to this character. Um, that's probably more interesting to me than seeing Kyle O'Reilly come in for two weekends. As much as I love Kyle, Kyle O'Reilly or, you know, see Donovan Dijak for a weekend or Ricochet for, for a one-off here and there. So that's, I would say that that's, it has its pros and cons, I would say. Like, we'll get to it later, but there are some guys who were brought in who didn't super impress me. Um, but they are bringing back Walter for the December shows, so I don't know. Yeah, they are kind of in a limbo. It's not the same promotion that it felt like six months ago when you could look at it and be like, this is a real top-tier Major League promotion. It's not a super indie. The cards aren't quite as loaded as, um, you know, some of the other sort of dream match companies. But, like, these guys aren't on the level of coming in as a Chris Dickinson or a Jocka or, Ch- or Tracy Williams, Fred Yehi. Like, those guys, I feel like, are more seasoned pros than some of the guys who are coming in. Is that fair? Yeah, oh, that's for sure fair. It's like, but now we have, it's like we have two different promotions. There's this real fracture where, I mean, they didn't even involve Riddle or Saber or Keith Lee in this, the end uh, angle, right? They were just somewhere else. Zach uh, wins on the second night and he just like runs to the back before the angle can happen. And we've reached this point where I always looked at, evolve as a place, I mean, I was kind of saying this before, a place for pretty big indie guys to go. And it suddenly has started to feel like a guy like Zack Sabre is bigger than the promotion. It it felt like, and we'll talk about the main event of Evolve 94, but that match felt so much bigger than anything else that happened. The the Matt Riddle-Keith Lee last man standing match. Suddenly we had two stars in a big match and it was like nothing else we saw on either of these shows. And so if that, if that fissure continues to happen, it's going to be a really weird promotion. And my guess is you're going to see those guys contracts run out and they move on. And the promotion that we're left with then is, is the rest of the show, which is a lot different than what people are used to seeing from Evolve. Absolutely. And I, and in their defense, right? If, if it's true what we've read that Flow Slam hasn't been paying them since July, that means they didn't get paid for like August or September. That's two months of digital video revenues that they're expecting to get. And the, the VOD and the streaming is like a big part of where they make their money. Uh, so they basically lost two months of income and they lost the Flow Slam money that they were counting on. And the promotion is, not as hot as it was when it was on when it first started with Flow Slam because they, they haven't had the sort of WWE cruiserweight classic involvement. So it's, yeah, they're in a, it, it would seem like you can understand why there will be some cost cutting. Oh, for sure. And I'm not even saying that will make it a bad promotion. I'm not sure. saying that at all. I'm saying it's going to make it a much different promotion than what we're used to, and it will slot the promotion in a new place than where it was before. There are a lot of American indies out there who have a couple of big names, and then 
you know, more local guys. These wouldn't be local guys, but, you know, guys underneath who aren't on that top level of the Indies. There's a lot of promotions like that. So it'll be harder for Evolve to set itself apart because a guy like Shane Mercer, as much as I like him and I like him a lot, he's not going to NXT soon. So it will be a lot different as far as are they going to be the place that you think of as this is the last stop before NXT. And uh, we'll have to see where that goes. But I, we just have to look at this transition period and where it's going. And uh, based on what we've seen so far, it could get interesting and change the face of the promotion for a long time to come. And it's kind of weird because most indies that have sort of, with the exception of Riddle, Lee, and Zack Sabre Jr., like most, how's the best way to say it? Most, most indie companies that have this sort of slate of talent as far as their sort of recognition and star power are not touring across the, co- the country. You know, like an, a- an AIW, for instance, is not like coming out to New York to run shows. Um, so it's kind of interesting. It's, it's almost like you would hope that this transition would, like, I'm biased, obviously, because I live in Queens. But I would just, I would almost, part of me would just, like, start, not from square one, but just being like, okay, Laboom's our home, and we're going to run, this is where we're going to run our shows. You know, we'll run, or maybe, like, Laboom in Boston. We're going to do those two venues and just do that and sort of curtail the expansion. Because I think it might be beneficial for them to just like build up buildings where when they get there, people know who the wrestlers are. They care about them. They're not there to see another local indie and then they're staying after for Evolve. Make some homes for yourself. Because that's another thing we saw this weekend is it's Evolve is like two different promotions. It's one promotion in Laboom and one promotion everywhere else. Well, it does look like in December they're going to run two Northeast shows, including uh, the first night in Laboom. I was wrong. I was wrong. Sorry. I may have said Laboom earlier. They're running uh, the Elmcore Center. Oh, that's right. I saw some talk about that on Twitter. Yeah, so, they're back. They're back to uh, the Elmcore Elmcore Center in uh, Elm Elmhurst slash Corona, as opposed to uh, Laboom and Woodside. So well, the, I guess my point remains that they're running the Northeast again, right? Uh, sure. I mean, that's a good point, but they're, they're running the Northeast again. So maybe we'll see them stay at home a little more. I mean, this is, I mean, I, I know they run Florida a lot in the past, but I've always kind of seen it as a New York promotion, a Northeast promotion. And I mean, the hard part about that is a lot of these guys are from elsewhere. So you know, they got to uh, pay trans to get all these guys into New York or the Northeast if, if they're going to do that going forward. But we'll see where that goes, where the shows are going to be run. Let's go ahead and talk about the shows that happened this weekend. We started with Evolve 94 on Saturday night in Laboom. This one was actually in Laboom. I didn't make that one up this time. Uh, overall, AT, how did you feel about Evolve 94? I thought this was a strong show. Um, we had read that the crowd was not as big as it was for recent Laboom shows. But I thought they were still fairly hot and still, it was still a good setting. And I thought they had a, this was a really strong show. I don't think it was an excellent or like an incredible show, but it was a really good show. I thought that, um, 
I really, really, really liked uh, Jaka versus Zack Sabre Jr. too. Um, I thought that Matt Riddle and Keith Lee had a great match uh, in their last man standing match. Um, it was weird because it was like the undercard. It was like the whole show was built around the end and you kind of spent all of it waiting for them to come back out and attack someone. And then it sort of died midway through the show. So it was sort of um, strange in that way. But yeah, I thought this was a strong show. Yeah, it was, I would call it a a good show with a really good main event. Uh, I was really into the last match and you know, as disappointed as I was when I realized that what the end angle was going to be instead of what I wanted it to be, by the end of the show, I was like, okay, let's see how this plays out. This could be really cool. So when Evolve 94 ended, I was into it. I was uh, ready to go for Evolve 95. So overall, I have to say that this was a good show, that I enjoyed it. Uh, we'll start with the beginning. Uh, Catch Point is in the ring. It's funny. When this first started, I just like it, I turned it on and I noticed there were a bunch of guys in the ring. And I thought, oh, we're doing like a little here's evolve to stand up against whoever is claiming they're going to end evolve. That's kind of what I was envisioning. Uh, but quickly I noticed some dude with, with soccer balls on his knee pads and I was disabused of, of that notion. It was actually catch point in the ring. Uh, Stokely is in there and he tells us about the catch point matches that we're about to see. And the guy with the soccer balls on his knee pad. I mean, it, that's what was on his knee pads, right? Really bizarre. Did I, did I didn't I notice. Something? Yeah. Maybe I missed something really cool, but I, I don't think so. So it turned out this guy was uh, a guy named Rayo. I was like, okay, this is we're starting with the new talent immediately. And Stokely tells us that Rayo is going to wrestle Dominic Garini. This match uh, ended in about, I don't know, 30 to 45 seconds. It was a super quick one. Garini wins uh, with the Kimura after just, you know, a few uh, a few spots. Similar to the last time we saw uh, Garini uh, hit the big jumping knee before he hit the Kimura. I, I don't know. Any thoughts about this one, AT? Uh, you know, I mean, it was very, very short. So it's, you know, I should if I keep talking anymore, you know, my analysis of the match will be longer than the match itself. But I think Garini looked good. It was a good, you know, good showcase for him. And clearly they're going to be building him up with these big, these like quick squashes to make him look like a real, a real dangerous shooter. And I like that. A real shooter. Uh, we follow that up quickly with Chris Dickinson jumping in the ring, brings out Jason Kincaid and Dickinson gets the win, uh, with a Pazuzu bomb. Man, it just, especially lately, just sticks out to me so much how aggressive. Chris Dickinson is, and I love that. And he brought that again here. This was a, a decent little match, nothing great, but uh, Dickinson was Dickinson was great in it. But it was he, a, it was a good match. I felt the same thing. The man exudes violence, and it was. I thought he looked very sharp here, and I thought Jason Kincaid looked a little better too. I think that he still did his like weird flip over the ropes thing, where the guy has to kind of like like lie on their back on the apron and wait for it. But I think he's cut out. Um, some of the offense that was kind of more annoying that, that is sort of, that's one of my pet peeves, I think is, and I guess we'll talk about it when we talk about Jarek a little later is that 
it's kind of annoying when you're watching a wrestling match and someone has a signature spot where the other guy just has to kind of sit around in a very unnatural position and wait for something to be done to them. Um, but yeah, this was a, a fun match. I, I like that Kincaid did a cool like jump from the stage to the ring where he hit an elbow on Dickinson. Um, and Dickinson was super aggressive and vicious, as we said before. And yeah, this was this was a good good little opening. You know, the first kind of like real match. This was good. And as we said before, after this match is where the end angle started. Uh, we saw Drennan and Odinson and Perot come out. Uh, Lenny Leonard said on commentary, Odinson, Perot, and Drennan, the end has come to evolve, which was really the, I don't know if it was the light bulb moment, but it was the moment where I was like, okay, this is definitely all that's happening is uh, these guys are coming in. So, but Lenny handled it well. And uh, we've already talked about this particular segment, but it was, it was entertaining. I was ready to see where it was going to go after that. The next match was Austin Theory. And this is where we started to see who our uh, new guys were going to be. Brandon Watts comes out. Austin Theory defeats him uh, with the Theory KO. Uh, while Watts did appear before at Evolve 49 uh, when he wrestled in a tag match against the Premier Athlete brand. Man, I'm glad we weren't doing this podcast during the Premier Athlete brand. But uh, this was this was interesting because I thought both guys looked good. I liked what both of them did, but the match never really seemed to come together. I thought Watts really showed that he can sell very well, and he made a really awesome comeback uh, when it was time for that in the match. So I was, uh, and I am, excited about him going forward. But I didn't think the match ever really came together. Yeah, I thought it was solid. Um, I don't know that I had the same thoughts about it not coming together, but I, but I noted that Watts sold well, or at least I felt like he did. And, yeah, this was chill. Uh, Austin Theory continues to look good. I've noticed that he's really starting to work on kind of stalling in his matches and, and letting things sit and soaking in, you know, the disdain of the crowd and yelling at them. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was good. And we continue to see another win for Austin Theory, who um, we'll see later in the show. But Austin Theory is on his way to a main event program at some point in the next like six months is my guess. I mean, I'm probably, you know, we're wrong about these kinds of things all the time, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. I don't think he's on his way to a main event beard. What did you think about Austin Theory's facial hair? <laughs> it's good because it makes him look like a huge douchebag. And it reminds you that he's very young, <laughs> you know, which are two things that they're trying to get across with this, this character, but the sort of patchy, awful beard. I mean, it's awful, um, but that's good, right? You have like, you're trying to communicate his shittiness, and it does a good job. As someone who can't grow facial hair, it turned him into an immediate baby face to me. Uh, but I did feel a little bad for him because it uh, did look kind of sad. I, as, I feel. Yeah, I mean, as someone with a perpetual 5 o'clock shadow, it uh, gave me something to feel better about Austin Theory. About. So <laughs> it, was like kind of, it was definitely a confidence boost to me as someone who's like, not like extremely handsome and certainly not as muscular as Austin theory or as athletic um, or talented in any way. It was nice to know that I would definitely <laughs> like take the shit out of him in a beard growing contest. You have way better hair also. Mm, that's I, yeah. My just general, my facial hair, more yeah. facial hair, more hair on my head, more bad body hair. My follicles are just kind of working overtime here. Yeah. And uh, Austin theory's follicles could stand to uh, learn a thing or two from them. 
the end came out after this match and attacked Brandon Watts. Hit a big power bomb on him. Uh, Drennan laid in some uh, some really bad chair shots on Brandon Watts. I, we should have even said laid in. He should have laid them in a little bit. I was like, come on, big man. Uh, drop those on him. But he did not. Uh, this is where we learned that Drennan was kind of the, the man behind the end. He's really uh, calling the shots with these two. Theory, Austin Theory and Priscilla Kelly got out of there before they could be attacked. What did you think about Austin Theory being spared uh, from an angle perspective? Hmm. Well, I don't know how much I I thought about it in the sense that, like, he's a smart heel, I guess, so he, like, sneaks out. But we'll also notice throughout the shows that they're, yeah, they're just, like, guys who don't get it, you know, don't get attacked by them. And I don't know if that speaks to the fact that they want, you know, the bookers want to keep Austin Theory strong and the guys who aren't getting attacked strong, or if it's the idea that perhaps Austin Theory could be in cahoots. Because if you look at his sort of, like, dark and stormy character and what he and Priscilla Priscilla Kelly have going, it's possible that they may be somehow involved with the end. That's true. It, It made me fear more that they were just sparing the guys uh, who are further up the card from uh, the indignities of of being attacked by the end. But that kind of just occurred to me right now as we were talking about this. So it may not be a fully baked thought, Uh, but we'll see how it plays out. Right. We'll see where that goes and whether this is just going to be a solely mid card feud or if it's going to actually envelop the, the whole promotion. The next match uh, saw Darby Allen defeating Jared 120 with the Last Supper. Um, did you get any more into Jared uh, on this Evolve weekend, particularly in this match? Not really. He he did some cool stuff. It's clear that he's a, a very you know a good athlete. He does he does that sort of flagpole elbow where he does a plank off the ring post and then does an elbow to the outside. And they did some other cool stuff. Like I enjoyed when Darby went for a springboard to the stage and Jarek super kicked him. But he's just like very corny in his appearance and his mannerisms. He seems like a guy who's just like, I want to go to NXT. So I'm just going to sort of look like a guy who goes to NXT. Like he has a good physique. He looks like the love child of Chris Hero and uh, Adam Cole. He looks like a Triple H guy. And someone else said that it made the Chris Hero and uh, Adam Cole comparison before me. That's not an original take. Um, I forget who it was. But in any event, um, he has this look that looks like kind of like a cookie-cutter WWE wrestler. And he did, like, he did one thing where he did like the finger gun before he did a super kick in this match. And it's just like... Such like a corny, unoriginal thing to do. I don't know. It just didn't. He doesn't really engage me uh, from a character perspective. It's like he so badly wants to be a finished product, but he isn't. Like he has, he thinks he's come up with this really clever gimmick that's really lame. His gear is just like everything about him is so on the nose. It's like, this is what a pro wrestler is supposed to be. That's what he's decided somewhere. I'm going to have the long hair. I'm going to have this you know, disturbed reality 
this like uh, nuanced gimmick to him, nuanced gimmick. I'm going to have these really particular uh, noteworthy spots that I'm going to become known for. It's like he's already trying to get to the end of, of what he wants to be, but I don't think his I don't think his ambition and his skill match up yet at this point in his career. I think that's a really good insight. Yeah. And he's also, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. No, you nailed it. You said it much more concisely and you, you hit it, you hit it out of the park. And, and the other thing is like, Oh, like when he does that spot now, he does it in both, did it in both matches where it's kind of like that, that double stomp Alberto Del Rio was doing in his failed return to the WWE where the, the guy has to like lie there on his back, you know, in the, you know, in the turnbuckle area. And then Jarek does, instead of double stomping him, he does a thing where his like, butt, he does like a spin and lands on him with his butt. It just, uh, it just looks dumb. Uh, not in the promo he did after the show was like, he made a bunch of magic references. Like everything was like a magic or car, a lot of card puns. Like he's like, I'm not going to let, you know, I'm, you know, we got a lot of jokers around here, and you're just, just like, you're, you can't pull a joker on me. And it's just like, I don't know. He, he looks like a guy that you would go to your local indie and see him and be like, oh, that guy was pretty good. And that's like, that's it. All right, we got to stop just ragging on this guy. Is that too brutal? Is that too no, brutal? no, no. We're just like, we've, we've made our, I'm just saying we've made our case. All right. Yeah, I just yeah. had one more thought that I want. I all, right, all right, all right. One more, one more. No, that was it. I should have stopped with my with the take that you said was was insightful. Yeah. Okay. Uh, again, after this match is over, the end comes out, and they attack Darby Allen, the refs, the ring crew guys. Darby tried to get some licks in, and I was I was like, wait, is Darby going to fight these guys off and just kill this angle dead right now? Uh, he did not. He uh, was unsuccessful. I uh, tried to do a coffin drop, but got caught and thrown into the ring post. Uh, they powerbombed him. Like I said, they, they went after the refs and the ring crew guys and uh, basically just killed everyone in sight. So we're continuing this this thread where they uh, just kill everyone. But I, I guess maybe, again, the heel got out of the way. So maybe that's more what's going on, is that we're just losing the uh, the heels are getting out of there and the baby faces are the ones who are taking the beatings. Yeah, but I guess for some reason they're reframing Catchpoint as good guys in this struggle. We'll talk about that more right. later too, because the cat, you know, Dickinson got attacked, and on this show, Tracy Williams would be attacked on the next one. And it's funny too, because it's like if you're trying to end of all, why would you go after the biggest heel group who like cheat in their matches, and the manager is like constant has constant contempt for the company's management? Like I feel like if anything you have a shared struggle with the catch point, dude. It's like, well, I don't And now it's like, even though they had been sort of pushing them as having this new aggression and, and they, you know, Tracy Williams cheats to win his, his match a moment later, at, you know, as we're going through this show, but like somehow they're defenders of evolve. And I guess it kind of, it could work if it were like, if this story progressed for a while and then, Catchpoint stands up for Evolve, and it's like, despite their heelishness, they have this basic human decency, and all, and everyone respects, you know, the Evolve brand, but to, like, have them sort of be part of the initial babyface group against this outside force is confusing. There's a real problem with with face-heel dynamics in this company right now, and you're exactly right that we don't know where Catchpoint 
supplies in this whole deal. And we're going to see more of that in this Matt Riddle, Keith Lee match that we're going to talk about in a minute. But there's a real issue right now with who you're supposed to be rooting for in this promotion, uh, which makes it tough to, to keep buzz going. And especially if you want to build from November to no, no shows in December, I'm sorry, no shows in November and hold over to December. Uh, it's hard when it's like, but there's nobody that I'm really excited to see win when December comes back. But we'll talk about that more. Okay, so the next match uh, saw Tracy Williams defeat Fred Yehi, uh when he submitted him with a guillotine choke. The, I guess the most important thing that happened in this match was that uh, Stokely got up on the apron. Yehi went to grab him, and it was Garini who then got in uh, Yehi's face. They're kind of doing this thing where Garini is Stokely's bodyguard. That's the general idea of what's going on here. So once Garini got in his face, Tracy pulled the ropes into Yehi's neck, hit uh, Yehi with a lariat, a DDT, and then got him in that chokehold to uh, finish off the match. You're the big Tracy guy, so I always I like to go to you first, AT. Uh, did the Tracy train roll on for AT? It was good. This was good. I enjoy, I did enjoy this match. I thought that it felt like they were pretty heated, and it was a good back-and-forth match. And I thought the finish, the, like the closing stretch, was pretty exciting as far as, you know, they're trading big moves. And, yeah, this was a good match, I thought. Um, and it felt like Tracy was better here than he was the next night against Zack Sabre Jr. I think there I'll have, you know, some, I don't know, that match didn't land for me as well as, and maybe that was because it was a main event match, but I thought this was a, a good match. What did you think? I thought it was pretty good, but I was distracted by the fact that I was so disappointed that Tracy didn't keep building on that aggression that he had been showing. I I mean, if you're a long time, a long time listener of this show, you kind of heard my journey with Tracy Williams and that I really never was into him. But then he started doing all the stuff I wanted him to do, which was like just kind of be a little more brutal, be a little more of a dickhead and uh, lay it in on people. And he started doing that more, showing more emotion. And it this seemed like the natural match for him to continue doing that because he does have this history with Yehi, who, of course, used to be part of Catchpoint before he left. And so I wanted that to continue on here because Yehi can play that game. He played it with Riddle on uh, Evolve 95. He can play the let's trade brutal, uh, brutal strikes. We can also trade brutal exchanges on the mat. And Tracy could have done that with him here, but... Instead, it was kind of like an old Tracy match uh, that I don't really get into. I did enjoy the tease of a Yehi Garini match down the road. I think that's something that could be really cool. So I'm looking forward to that. So after this match, uh, Jaka comes out and he's pissed about the end beating up Chris Dickinson. So he's jumping around the ring and you know calling for uh, the end to come out so that they can uh, face off. But uh, they don't come out. You know, the, the, the new metal doesn't hit. We don't see uh, P.O.D. That's what you should have gone with instead of D.O.P. earlier. P.O.D. Uh, the end. <laughs> instead, we get Zack Sabre Jr., uh, which is never a disappointment for anyone when Zack Sabre Jr. comes out. Uh, but Jaka beats Zack Sabre Jr., hits him with a Liger bomb and gets the win. I know you loved the last match they had, A.T. Uh, did this one live up to that match? This one didn't quite hit the dramatic highs of that last match. They didn't quite 
um, have the crowd going apeshit the way they did last time. But I thought that this was great. I thought that they, it was another good match. I thought they lost a little bit. It felt like they lost a little bit of steam in the middle. But these guys have great chemistry, and they had a great match. And I loved how the story built from the last one, right? The last one, it was like Jocko was fired up, and no one believed in him. And he was using his power to sort of fight off Zack Sabre Jr., but ultimately... Zach was just a little bit too good at grappling in the wrestling part of wrestling. And he, he caught Jaka in that back bridge of doom for the win. And here we saw Jaka went for a takedown very early in the match and was kind of going 50-50 with Zach in, in these ground exchanges. So we're seeing his progression as a wrestler. And then later in the match, we saw almost the same exact spot, right? The last match ended when Jaka went for that sort of that move he does where he puts his two hands on the guy's throat and then lifts him up and does a Liger bomb. Um, but but last time, Zach got him in that um, that back bridge and won the match. This time, Zach gets him in the back bridge, but Jaka kicks out, right? So he learned the counter to the move that finished him last time. And this time, he hits that Liger bomb and he wins the match. And so I thought it was a really, really great story that built on a really great story that they told last time. So, you know, it wasn't like jump out of your seat match to the extent that the last one was, but it was a really, really satisfying story. And uh, I thought the crowd's reaction was really great too, because they were just stunned. Um, if you go back and watch it, if you bought the VOD on WWNlive.com, you can see in the left-hand portion of the frame, there's one woman who just like puts her hand over her chest. Like she can't believe it. And she's, you know, you know, in Yiddish, we were like, we say, you know, gotten you, you know, when something is like really surprising. Um, and so, yeah, I thought that that was really, really cool. Yeah, I thought it pretty much the same. Didn't think it lived up to the last match, but there was a lot of cool stuff about it. Mostly I'm happy to see Jaka get elevated a little bit, right? Like if this promotion is going to transition, we talked on the last episode about how they sh- they're going to have to build up some of these guys who have been mid-carters. So, you know, recently in Evolve, and Jaka's a good place to start. He's he's definitely won over the Laboom crowd, and I think uh, most of the Evolve fans in general like Jaka and would be happy to see him move up the card a little bit. The post-match uh, – I'm sorry, AT, you got something more about that match? Um, Yeah, I, I just want to say I agree with you, and also there was like a moment where Ron Yemi on commentary was like, surprised that Zack Sabre Jr. answered Jaka's challenge instead of the end, but the match was booked and promoted before this. I don't know. Yeah, I guess we didn't note it last time, but Ron Yemi's back, you know, to the commentary booth. Um, and I just don't like him that much. He sounds almost a little bit like sort of like the color commentary guy for like a B market NHL team where he's like, not just because of the accent, but also just because he's, he just feels like a huge homer for the promotion, you know, where everything is a classic match in a way that feels inauthentic and sort of what you'd hear if you, if you watch the Islanders and you listen to Butch Goring every night, it's like just a lot of, a lot of sort of uh, very clear rooting for the home team in a way that doesn't feel real. And yeah, just, a lot of puns, just not my cup of tea. I, I'd prefer if it was just Lenny in the booth. Yeah, I have always loved the Lenny uh, experience. I think he's great. 
and he's perfect as just like one dude. Ron Neamey is like, I appreciate that he's trying to put everything over and trying to help everybody get over in a way. But like you said, it, it comes across as so inauthentic that it doesn't work. It's like you almost buy into it less if he's putting it over, right? It's like, uh, I don't want to, I, the fans who watch Evolve don't want to be like Ron Neamey, right? They don't, they don't want to uh, go along with what he says. So I'm not sure. I, he's a weird addition to the commentary booth, whereas Lenny, I think, speaks to the quote-unquote smart fan in a certain way uh, because he comes across as smart and he doesn't sound like he's shilling for the promotion. He just sounds like he's telling you what's going on and keeping you super informed because he always seems so outrageously prepared for everything. Uh, so kind of a weird uh, addition. So after that match, of course, we're all waiting on the end to come out, right? This is the opportunity for them to get involved with, well, they could come back out. Uh, they've already attacked Dickinson and come out and get Jaka. They can get involved with a higher guy on the card like uh, like Zack Sabre Jr. Instead, we get Priscilla Kelly. Priscilla comes out by herself. Zack stands alone in the ring. Uh, she walks across the ring to him and uh, runs her finger down his chest while Zach just appears uh, completely quizzical and befuddled by by what is going on. Uh, <laughs> this was, I guess it's supposed to be sexual, like Priscilla Kelly, that's kind of her role on the show. But uh, I thought this was particularly sexual, AT. <laughs> it was uh, interesting. Oh, yeah, she's, she's out there slithering. And then it was yeah. funny on commentary because – Lenny Leonard was like, he was like, what'd he say? He was like, whenever Priscilla Kelly's around, bad things seem to happen. And then Ron Yemi was like, well, it's, it seems like Zack Sabre Jr. probably wouldn't mind her being out there, which is like one of those <laughs> things where it's like not like proactively sexist, but it gives you a hint that they might be sexist. You know what I mean? Like right. when someone says something, it's like not problematic. But you can tell that if someone were, like, aggressively unproblematic or were, like, thinking about gender in a progressive way, they probably wouldn't have said it. Sure. But I think Zach also, like, puts off a sexual vibe. Maybe that's just me. Really? He, don't you think so? Like, I don't know. Ever since I saw him at AAW and he stood around with his shirt off drinking a Corona, I was like, Zach's trying to put out the vibe. Like, I think he is. Really? Because I would have, I would have been like, he doesn't really seem like he's like that horned up all the time. No, dude, I think he is. I've heard he's like, I mean, I'm not trying to gossip here about okay. Zach, but I've heard he's like a big party guy. Like he likes to go out and be among the people. All so, right, maybe Ron was right. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Zach was super horned up. It would be, you know, it's funny too. I really want to see like a super cut. It's kind of my become one of my like a running favorite uh, thing in the promotion is when Priscilla Kelly runs her hand down a wrestler's chest, their cells of it. I'd love to just see a super cut of, like, every time she's done that and, like, how the wrestler reacts to it. Zach was just, like, not into it at all. Uh, he was like, no. You might think you're going to seduce me, young lady, but you are not. So, anyway. All right. Glad I could get out my, my weird Zack Sabre Jr. is uh, a sexual creature take. We all are. <laughs> sure. That's true. Well, not right. some people are asexual. I should, yeah. <laughs> God, AT, you're so problematic on this I know, show. Dude, I'm just stepping it all over the place. You are. You are. Okay. Last match. Last man standing match. 
for the WWN Championship. AT, Keith Lee defeats Matt Riddle uh, after a ground zero from the second rope, gets the 10 count, and is your new WWN champion. Were you shocked by this? Um, a little. It's tough with the title change because this title doesn't really mean anything. They haven't really done enough to establish it. It just feels like the championship that you fight for when you're, um, when you're in a feud with Matt Riddle, you know, so it's not like, Oh my God, Keith Lee won the big title. Like, Whoa. But it was like, I don't know. I don't, it wasn't, it also wasn't a big surprise because it felt like there was an even chance that either guy would win. Um, and so, yeah, I thought that this was like a great match. I think that uh, they, it didn't, it wasn't as good as the first one I thought, but like the last man standing stipulation is like kind of, you know, it's like kind of tough because it's such an anticlimactic thing where you just, and it also breaks up the flow of the match. It really made me think a lot about how much pinball attempts are used to sort of as the glue in a wrestling match. It's like a thing you can do and then transition to something else. And here it's like this awkward pause where they're just lying on the ground and you're waiting for the referee to count. Um, so I thought they overcame that. They did a really good job. I mean, firstly, they, they just went hard from Jump Street with a lot of like big suplexes and head drops. And it was a lot of explosions early on. And um, I thought that they did a really good job of having a couple of nine counts towards the end that made that was like, okay, it's it, the end is coming. Like one who will land the last big shot that does it. Um, and so, yeah, I thought that they did a really good job. And one other thing I thought was interesting is usually when you think about a land, last man standing match, it's kind of like a hardcore match with a lot of weapons and stuff like that. And this had a, this had a little fighting on the floor and an apron bump, but it wasn't, you know, there were no, you know, there were no, weapons really in it yeah i thought this was great like i said earlier it felt like a big match felt like once the bell rang and they were in the ring it was like wow these are two superstars on this level about to go at it i was pumped i did think this beginning was a little weird because you have matt riddle just kind of like you know smiling to the crowd i mean This is supposed to be a pretty heated story between these two, right? Like the reason they're fighting is because of this, uh, these issues between them. And Riddle just can't help it, but try to make friends with, uh, with the crowd or want the crowd to love him and all that stuff. It's like, dude, come on. Let's get this, uh, let's continue the heat here and get this going. Am I crazy here? I mean, I just, it kind of annoys me. No, I don't know. I felt like they did a good job building this at the last show where they had the pull-apart brawl, but and they had, like, a good video package before it. But I think that it just... They didn't, like, build the feud part of this feud long enough. You know, it didn't... It didn't... Um, yeah, they spent a lot of time with them, like, as friends, and then they sort of became not friends very quickly, and then it was, like, time for the big mat, the big rematch. So... Well, I'm not sure either of these goods is... Either of these guys is, uh, is very good at that yet in, at this part of their career. They're both good uh, in the ring. They're both good, not just like with their work in the ring, but the way they project themselves in the ring. And the way they, I mean, they're both super charismatic, but I'm not sure either of them is very good at being able to get across anything to the crowd other than I'm really cool. I'm really tough. Uh, you should like watching me. I'm not sure they can do much beyond that yet. 
Yeah. They need to put these one of these dudes in a feud with Chris Dickinson. Yeah. You know, and let that sort of... Let him, you know, let that violence radiate off of them. And, and yeah, sort for of, sure. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because it's like Matt Riddle had such a heated match with um, Tracy Williams at the last show, and that was a really good violent match. Um, but I don't know that it felt like they hated each other in the right. same The build way. wasn't violent. The build wasn't heated in that same kind of way, right? It's like... I don't know. I think part of the problem is that the American Indies are not built around stories. And so you don't have to do that. You don't have to project yourself in that way and get over with promos. You get over with your ring work and both these guys are good at that. So I'm not sure that it's the guys who are good at that. It's more of something they've worked on on their own or they're naturally good at it rather than having built that up on the Indies. But this was a a great match still. Once it got started, it was great. Uh, I thought they did a great job of escalating the match, which you had to for this type of stipulation. Like you said, you know, it had to build toward those nine counts. I thought uh, this might be bizarre, but I thought Brandon Tolley did a really good job in this match because he kept the counts quick so that it didn't feel like it was going on forever. In a WWE last standing match, it's like, you know, 20 real time seconds for a 10 count. This was a quick count. Uh, so it didn't, I hear what you're saying, like the thing about pinfalls. I heard on some like random WWE documentary, I heard Sami Zayn say once that a pinfall is like a period at the end of a sentence when you're building a wrestling match. Like you have this segment, pinfall, and you move on. So, you, I mean, I think you're exactly right about how that can uh, grease things and transition things, and they didn't have that. But the fact that it wasn't so drawn out really helped. And I agree that it went like, okay, we're going to have to find this bigger move. I I was surprised at the move that ended it. I didn't think that was going to be the end of the match. So I was, I was literally or legitimately uh, surprised that Keith Lee won at that point. But then I got to thinking like there was no emotional, there was no emotion period for Keith Lee's win. It wasn't like when Zach won the title. I know we're big Zach Marks, but uh, it wasn't like, I don't think anybody could disagree that it wasn't like when Zach won the title. It was just like, oh, cool. You know, like Keith Lee won. I didn't expect him to win, really. But it's like, what's if this is the payoff, what was the story? Right. Because when Zach Sabre Jr. won the title, it was like a guy we really liked who'd struggled to want to win the title for a long time, finally won it from a guy everybody hated. And in this match, right. it was like one guy who had had one previous title shot four months before won the title from a guy that we like one guy we like won the title from a different guy we like. And that was kind of, it was like, Oh, cool. Like Keith Lee's the champion now, but I don't know. Maybe they're doing something with Matt Riddle here. Cause he, at the end of this match, he doesn't shake his hand. He just kind of like slithers out to the back, like the coward that we know that he is. <laughs> And, right, like uh, if yeah. if the story really is Matt Riddle's a dick and Keith Lee overcame him, that would be cool. But they didn't get across that story, so I just what I don't know is like as the as the viewer, what am I supposed to want to happen next? Am I supposed to want to see Riddle get another chance at the title? Because I don't. I mean, it'd be cool to see these two wrestle again. I'm cool for that. 
But from like a storyline perspective, I'm not chomping at the bit to see these guys wrestle again. I'm not like, oh, good. Keith Lee's the champion, and now I want to see him run roughshod over all his uh, – everyone who uh, doubted him. You know, like there's just – I don't know where there is to go after this from a story perspective. Yeah. No, you're right. It, it seemed like Riddle was like a little heelish leaving without, you know, congratulating Lee, and he was seemed like a little – there were some elements of uh, – Excess, excess aggression in the match the next night with Fred Yehi. So we'll we'll see what they do with Riddle because he's not going to be on these these next shows in December. So we won't see him again until the new year. I think because it, it, the next shows are when we'll be towards the end of the World Tag League. And if all, all of the reporting that he's going to be in that in New Japan is correct, then he won't be um, on the December weekend. Yeah, I, I think that's true. So after the match was over, Keith Lee cut a little promo thanking the fans, praising the atmosphere at LaBoom. Kind of thought the end would come out at that point and, and really finish off the show because the show felt built around that angle. I mean, the whole weekend was built around that angle, uh, but nothing happened. We just end with, with Keith Lee going dark. Uh, you made the point on Twitter in between these two shows that just needed them to – we needed the end – to attack one of the big three so that they could really uh, have the type of impact that this angle needed. Yeah, because I felt like um, that in order to live up to the way that the angle was built um, in the emails and online, these, these guys needed to present an existential threat to evolve, right? They're the end, right? And they had crossed out, you know, Riddle and Lee on the poster and the email they sent, they had, you know, crossed out Gabe Sapolsky's face and written NXT next to it. And so the implication was two, twofold. They were coming for Gabe Sapolsky specifically. We didn't hear anything about that. And they were going to really threaten this promotion's existence. And if, for me, it's like, if you're going to be that kind of threat, you need to take out one of the top three superstars. All right, well, let's move on to Evolve 95, which happened on Sunday. You know, AT put together these uh, rundown sheets for us before the show, and he has written that it occurred at a middle school in East Haven, Connecticut. So that's the info I have, folks. That's what I'm going to give to you. All right, how did you enjoy this uh, this middle school wrestling on Evolve 95? Wow, a little, little bit of a burial of my, uh, <laughs> my preparatory work, um, but, uh, you know. It's unfortunate because AB does the editing, so I can't. The, the show will already be out before I can bury him for it. And then, you know, then I got to, like, either go do it online or wait to the next show. It's, um, it's an unfair advantage. But in any event, I thought this show was okay. I thought that Fred Yehi versus Matt Riddle was great. I thought that the Zack Sabre Jr. Tracy Williams match was good, but it felt like it was missing something. And... There was some other stuff that was all right on this show, like Keith Lee and Darby Allen was fun, but like I don't know, this this show dragged. Felt like uh, this show was just kind of like, eh. The crowd was solid, you know. It wasn't super big, but it felt like they were with them for the most part. It felt like they got a little tired towards the end because um, there was two hours and forty five minutes. 
you know, that included an intermission and then there was like a one hour pre-show. Um, so it was a long night for them. And the show was just like, we really started to see, you know, kind of what like the new Evolve will look like uh, without, you know, now that it's kind of scaling down a little bit in terms of their talent expenses. And it was a little rough in, in, in spots. It was, and it was like intermission just did not feel needed at that point. I felt like they could have powered through and, and finished off this show. Uh, maybe that's just me. I'm I'm not an intermission guy, but uh, I just I was really bummed when I realized intermission was coming because also their intermission seemed to drag on, and uh, this one lasted quite a while as well. And we had to watch the the pretty bad uh, shine videos on the uh, com feed. So some of those angles that they were showing were brutal. Like, why would you pick that to to highlight? your product to your biggest audience. There was like an angle with cake and I was just like, this is oof. Right. Oh good. You have this promotion with women. So you have a, an angle about how they uh, get catty with cake. That's great. Yeah. Hmm. But there were some bright spots on the show. Yeah. And we the started first with one, one. Great transition. Exactly. The first one was immediate. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> no, you're great. I had no clue this was happening. Shane Mercer. Walks out of the curtain and I uh, I popped on my couch for sure. So excited! Shane Mercer is uh, a native of Lexington, Kentucky, and I've gotten to see him wrestle several times at IWA Mid South here uh, near Louisville, Kentucky. So I was just pumped to see him on this show. I've I've talked about him on this show before when I saw him wrestle at the Ted Petty Invitational. And uh, I've talked about him on Twitter because I'm a, a backer of his. I like him very much. So I was really excited to see him show up here. And he had a good little match with Mikey Webb, another guy who was making his debut on this show. And the great thing about Shane Mercer debuting on the show was that it brought together the real Evolve heads and Joshua Gavin, who was ex- also excited to see sh- that Shane Mercer was getting a chance somewhere. So Wrestling can bring people together, even when they've they've uh, been torn apart. It really can. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, so, I thought. So this, Shane, yeah, Sorry. Um, I'll just finish off that Shane Mercer uh, defeated Mikey Webb, hit him with what he calls the moonsault and battery, which is he gets up on the second rope and uh, picks the guy up like he's going to do a follow-away slam, but then does a moonsault and slams him down. Very cool. Uh, I thought he ruled. Did you think he ruled? Oh yeah, he looked really good. He has good size for for an indie. Good size, good build, good look for an indie guy. Um, yeah, and this was pretty good. I you know I thought Webb looked all right and you know solid. And uh, yeah, the finish was really cool. Um, I always loved when Matt Seidel used to do the cyclorama that 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 you know moonsault belly to belly. Um, and this was really yeah the fallaway slam was awesome. I have no idea like how sustainable it is for a person to do a move like that. Cause I'm, you know, I, I know that there was a reason why Matt Seidel stopped doing that, you know, or I imagine, but, um, but yeah, it's cool. I hope he does it as long as it's like, he feels he can do it. I've seen him do it, you know, quite a few times, but you know, he's also trying to get over, uh, on the, on the lower level Indies up until now. So I get it. Um, his, his gimmick is is not great, so I hope there'll be some tweaking of that. 
but, you know, the fact that he was standing tall at the end of the show makes me think that hopefully he'll be back in December. So that would be really cool. I'm rooting for him. Uh, I thought Mikey – I shouldn't overlook – I thought Mikey Webb looked really good here too. I liked him. Uh, I just happen to have a personal uh, connection to Shane Mercer. But I thought Mikey Webb looked good and is another guy that I'd like to see back and involved. Yeah, he did a nice job of just, like, flying through the air when Shane Mercer tossed him at the beginning of the match. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, the end comes out, attacks all these guys, plus some refs, lays everybody out. So it looks like we're going to get a, a continuation of what we got the night before. Our next match saw uh, the return of a, a debuter from the night before, Brandon Watts, who was taking on Jared 120. Uh, Jared beats him with sweet death. So this kind of this match kind of bummed me out because I really liked Brandon Watts the night before, and I just didn't think there was there was much good about uh, this particular match. But I'm blaming it on Jared. And uh, I'm sticking with Brandon Watts. Yeah, that's fair. It's they had a cool sequence starting out. You know, Jarek does his like sort of counters things into his hand, the handstand, you know, the cartwheel rather, which is cool. And I don't know. It seemed like they were kind of like had some good vibes early on, and, and like they were doing some cool transitions. But then uh, it, yeah, kind of fell apart in the middle. This is when Jared looked most like a uh, Triple H tribute gimmick because he had the all-black gear on. And uh, at one point, I forget which commentator it was, but said something about Jared was learning to play the game or trying to play the game. And my my wife said, oh, or is he trying to be the game or something like that? And it, it ruled. Oh, wow. A nice little dig from Sarah Bentley. Yeah, yeah. She brought the heat. Yeah, brought Alyssa heat. was not watching this show. <laughs> well, my wife was... Uh, she likes to craft, and so she was sewing together some sort of crafty project while I watched this show. But somehow she picked up on that this guy was uh, doing a Triple H tribute gimmick. That's astute. When, when when Alyssa and I watch wrestling together, she's pretty much constantly like, her biggest sort of critique, I would say, is that the wrestlers don't fuck each other. Like, <laughs> she's always like, what if they just like made out and started boning right now? Sure. Like, well, that would be a new thing in wrestling, so, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, it would depend on how they followed up on it, right? That would be maybe sure. an interesting sure. angle, but it's all about, you know, where the story goes from there. What would she think about, you know, the Priscilla Kelly, Zack Sabre story? Mm. I mean, gotta, we got to bring her in. We got to, uh, you know. Or is I'll this just her, like. I'll get her, get her opinion. Yeah. Or is this just male on male sex that she would like to see in wrestling? I think she's more excited about the male on male sex. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I'll get back to you. That'll be a good hook for people to come back to check out the show yeah. next week. That'll be next week. I don't think so, bud. Uh, next week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'll In be December, great. Yeah. We'll all look forward to that. Yeah. Okay. Now, interestingly, the end does not come out after this match. So I'm starting to wonder, uh, what's going on at this point, but you know, it's just one match. Not that weird. We get another Dominic Garini match. Uh, and he faces Cyrus Satine, who you may remember lost in a uh, very quick match to Fred Yehai uh, on the last last months of shows. Fred Yehai started the match, started the show with a dark match against Cedric Alexander, and then when the show went live, he was uh, wrestling Cyrus Satine and beat him quickly with the uh, the uh, foot strikes to the chest. I'm losing my my thoughts here. 
So we get another squash match from uh, Dom Garini and another squash loss for Cyrus Satine. Not much to say here except, I don't know, this is, I see what they're trying to do with Garini, like this this gimmick where he's just going to beat the hell out of people really quickly and build himself up as a legit badass. And I think he is a legit badass in real life. Like he's apparently a pretty high-level jujitsu guy. I would not want to mess with him in any way. Uh, I'm just not into the uh, shorts, no shoes look. I think it's a weird look. I think it makes Garini uh, look kind of dopey when he should look like a dude that could injure world on a second's notice. So I'm just not sure if if the gimmick is all coming together yet, but it's early on with him. So I'm not like worried about him or or out on him, uh, but we'll see where it goes. Okay, we got a Stokely promo after that. So Catchpoint gets a win with with Dom Garini, and Stokes says that he just showed what Catchpoint is all about, and that later on we're going to see Tracy Williams win the Evolve Championship. Uh, but our next match saw. Austin Theory defeating Jason Kincaid with a Theory KO. Uh, the way this went down was it looked like Kincaid was about to win the match. He countered the Theory KO into a stunner, which was a really cool spot and one that I really liked. Uh, and then he hit uh, Kincaid hit his double stomp and locked in the compassionate release, which I'm not sure if this is true. I can't remember, but they, they said on commentary that no one had ever gotten out of compassionate release. I'd have to go back and check, I guess, to make sure that was true. Uh, but so when he has compassionate release locking, he's a little too close to the ropes. Priscilla Kelly rigs him in the eyes. Theory gets out, hits the Theory KO for the win. What did you think about Priscilla Kelly getting involved as she has been uh, to get Theory the win here? I feel like Theory should be able to beat Kincaid clean. I think they're higher on Jason Kincaid than we are. And I think that they intend to push him further up the card and maybe have him be closer to Austin Theory's level than I think we perceive him to be. So, yeah, I feel like I like I like her interference spots generally, but I felt like this is a match that Theory should have just put him away. I think that's interesting because I don't know. I just get the sense they've never really done anything with Kincaid. Um, hmm. I hadn't thought about that. I, I kind of really thought well, but maybe that's because what my thought after the match was it's time for Theory to move on from Kincaid, move up the card into the next tier of evolved talent. And maybe you're right that he's not getting away from him because they view Kincaid as being on a similar level. Uh, sometimes I get confused with how I feel about wrestlers versus how the promotion feels about wrestlers. Uh, so maybe I'm just wrong there. Um, but this was an okay match. Uh I wrote in my notes, it was a decent little match. I thought Kincaid was better than he usually is, uh, but I'm just kind of over Kincaid, and I, I just don't care about him anymore. It would take a Herculean effort for me to get back interested in Jason Kincaid. What I am interested in is that he changed his gear this weekend. He now has a devil with uh, literal horns protruding from his uh, from his pants. And I asked Kenny Johnson if he would make a mini-doc about the ring gear change and Kenny liked that tweet. So I think it's possible that we're going to get one. All right. Yeah. Do you think that these guys are going to have another match? Oh, I don't think there's any question that they're going to have another match. Uh, I told you last night when we were chatting that I think they've only wrestled twice, but I feel like they've wrestled at least 200 times. So I expect that number 201 is, is on the way. 
after the match, uh, Kincaid is, is meditating. You know, he's having a tough time dealing with this loss again, especially in the way it happened. I think that really burns up Kincaid that he loses by interference. And he's not sure how to deal with that, so he's meditating. Theory slaps him around several times, uh, has some laughs at him. Priscilla tries to slap him, but Kincaid stopped her uh, nonviolently. This wasn't uh, this wasn't problematic in any way. The way that uh, Jason thought, of course, Jason would respect a woman. Uh, but then Theory hits Jason with the Theory KO and uh, got some booze on his way out. So, how did you feel about the the post match interaction? I liked it. I like Kincaid's sort of uh, internal struggle and. You know, I'm like torn because on one hand, I was like, oh, that was a cool angle. But then on the other hand, I'm like, I'm re- I agree with you. And then I'm ready for theory to move on to, to bigger and better things. Um, so, yeah, good angle. But I'm also like, OK, well, I guess they're going to do another match. And. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I want to see theory with I want to see him with the big guys in this promotion. Like, I know that he's not quite ready. He's not on that level yet, but I want to see it. Let's let him grow into it and figure it out up there with the big dogs instead of uh, messing around with uh, guys that he's just above their level. All right. So our next match was one I was really excited for uh, Keith Lee and Darby Allen. Keith Lee wins with the spirit bomb. I took some crap on Twitter for my take, which is that this was fun, but that Keith Lee sold way too much for Darby and that he sells way too much in general. I didn't realize that was a hot take when I made it. I thought that was probably a, a, a normal opinion. But it's like, okay, look, I understand that Code Red is not something you could do in real life, and it's not like you have to suspend your disbelief to see it happen. But a 150-pound dude cannot do it to a 300-and-some-pound dude. It's just not a thing. He can't hurricane run him. I don't know. He like Darby like immediately knocked down Keith Lee at the start of the match. And... I just hated that. I hated it a lot. Uh, as they got on in the match, it became the story that I thought it should have been, which was Keith Lee beating the piss out of Darby and Darby refusing to quit. Like, that's what we all love about Darby, and that's what endears him to us. He doesn't have to be able to knock down Keith Lee. All he has to do is survive, and and we love him, and we sympathize with that. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Did you think I was rightfully or rightly taking crap for for this Keith Lee sells too much take? Am I stuck no. in the eighties? No, I thought that that was fair. He's your new champion and a big dude, and Darby is not really at his level, even discounting the size differential. So no, I thought that was fair. The code red sucks. I just don't like it. I'm just not a fan of the code red. I'm over it. It's Pass and it's also like passe. It just feels it's like we can just put that back in 2002 and move on with our lives. Um, that's how I feel about the code red. Um, but yeah, this was fun and good though. I, I should say I loved. I mean, you know, Darby Allen went for a springboard and Keith Lee pounced him into next week. Darby sold great. He, you know, this was what you wanted it to, for the most part. Well, I agree with your critique about Keith Lee selling a little too much. It gave us what we wanted, which was, you know, when Keith Lee hit that spirit bomb at the end, I mean, Darby, like, bounced up off the mat and sold it like death. So it was that was really good. This was a good and fun match. Oh, Keep yeah. I, 
I had fun with it by the end. I just had that that small critique of it, but it was fun. The Evolved Tag Team Championships were on the line next. Uh, so we were supposed, well, I should lead with this. We were supposed to have the Jim Nasty Boys, Timmy Lou Retton and White Mike, against the Ugly Ducklings, uh, who are Rob Kiljoy and Lance Lude. But before that could happen, Chris Dickinson and Jaka came out. They called out the end again, uh, you know, wanting to kind of make up for what happened the night before. The end again don't uh, return their their calls and don't come out for a match. So instead, a Doom Patrol decides that they want to have a three-way match. They're going to put the tag titles on the line. This was very weird. I, I'm not sure how it kind of like escalated to not only do we want to fight some people, which that makes sense, but we want to put our titles on the line. So that was weird. And uh, maybe I'm just burnt by WWE, but that made me fear that they were about to lose their titles because that seems to be what happens in WWE whenever someone's like, and I'll put my title on the line. Um, I don't know. I hated this. Uh, Chris Dickinson and Jocka rule. They were brutal and aggressive and I loved it. But these other four dudes, um, this was, this is what we have to look forward to if Evolve turns into a minor league promotion. Is guys like this littering the uh, the cards? Uh, no buys, no interest. Uh, ugh, that's how I feel about it. Wow! Once again, Aaron Bentley, the, the real elitist of this podcast, <laughs> turning up his nose at the southeastern United States. Um, but me, Aaron Tab, a true man of the people. I kind of enjoy this. I mean, their gimmicks suck. I have no interest in these gimmicks being in Evolve because I just don't think it's like a funny, cutesy kids promotion. Like the Ugly Ducklings gimmick is both the Ugly Ducklings and the Gymnasties have these like, I don't know, man. It's just not, I don't know. It's like I'm just too old for those gimmicks, I think. And I appreciate that they're for kids and kids probably like them. But But I've like read a book, so I I need not this in my life. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, so and and they, but I thought that they acquitted themselves nicely for the most part, except for one glaring, uh, <laughs> you know, I, miscommunication, or I don't know. I'm not. We'll talk about that momentarily. But um, I thought that they had some cool double teams and they did some fun stuff, and it was like a, a satisfactory scramble match. Um, the one thing that stuck out more than anything, though, was um, Rob Kiljoy of the Ugly Ducklings was going for an acai moonsault on Chris Dickinson to the outside, but Dickinson moved out of the way, and then Kiljoy didn't quite stick the landing, and he stumbled backwards a bit, and then he moves forward, but it was like he almost like was overcompensating and moved too far forward. It was hard to see because his movements, like while he was moving forward, weren't on camera, but then Jocko was going for like a tope conhilo. Or, or some sort of sort of through the ropes dive, and then uh, Killjoy like was almost like too far close, and he like kind of halfway put his hands up to catch Jaka, but like didn't really come close to catching him. And then Jaka landed like near his neck, it seemed. And Chris Dickinson, it seemed like it was real, right? It seemed like he was mad IRL, just grabbed Killjoy and just starts kicking and stomping the shit out of him. And I was like, oh god, this is. This is like almost uncomfortable, it felt like, because it felt like real violence. And Jocko had to pull him away. 
So that felt, it also felt real because you, t- Aaron Bentley tweeted about it. Like, oh, it looks like Chris Dickinson didn't appreciate Duck Dude, like, not catching Jocka there. Eyes emoji. And then Rob Killjoy, like, went through and, like, faved our tweets later. So, it, you know, something happened there. And, uh, you know, I'm not entirely sure exactly what went down and who's at fault. But, uh, yeah, Jocka pulled Dickinson away. And then after the match, Dickinson went to grab Killjoy again. But Jocka and Stokely Hathaway were like, no, no, no. Like, let's go. Um, and then Dickinson started yelling to call out the end. So it's hard to tell whether that after the match spot was real or scripted. Um, uh, or yeah. And who knows? Uh, yeah. It, I mean, he definitely shot on him. I don't think there's any question that he, uh, put the boots to him. He was pissed. I mean, we see Dickinson. At, uh, wrestling with with real scripted violence regularly, right? Like he lays his stuff in, and he hits hard, and he throws hard. But this was on another level. I mean, uh, I don't know. I wasn't. It's not like these two had some intense feud, and so you can kind of work yourself into thinking like, "Ooh, maybe these guys really don't like each other," you know? Which is kind of the fun part of wrestling. But so. He just started hitting him so hard. There's just no way. I'd be shocked to find out that these were that these were pulled strikes in any way. Anyway, but I don't have any judgment to pass on like what happened, how how it came to be that way, because I don't know where everybody was supposed to be on the spot. I mean, it did look bad that that he didn't catch Jaka and Jaka almost hurt himself. But I can't say with 100 percent certainty that uh, that the the duck guy was in the wrong place. Uh, I'm not. I don't know. Am I crazy there? I mean, did you sense like he definitely missed him? Well, it's tough because I think we're not wrestlers. Well, two things make it tough. One is that we couldn't see in the pivotal moments before the accident happens. um, We can't see where Killjoy is and like what his feet are doing. Um, So that's a challenge. And then the other thing is that like we're not like we need a real wrestler magician on the show to like who like knows (laughs) who knows how the illusion is created and could be like, here's what happened. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. But I can imagine being Chris Dickinson and seeing my partner almost get really hurt and getting pissed off about it, no matter who was at fault. Uh, that, oh yeah. Yeah. That makes yeah, sense yeah. to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I understand. a hundred percent. Yeah. understand why you'd be angry and I'm sure there's like, and it's tough for us to judge too. Cause that this stuff I feel like is like wrestler code that I feel like, normies don't understand <laughs> you know if we need a wrestler here to come on and sort of like explain what happened and 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 um and to pass judgment right we're not here to pass judgment i should say that i'm not necessarily i'm not bearing necessarily these two titans for their work it's just that i don't have any interest in their gimmicks and it's just not not the kind of wrestling that i'm interested in so you know there are people who are into it and that's fine uh, I'm also not passing judgment on them. I just, uh, I don't care about it. So that's it. The next match, I don't even want to talk about. PAPW Heavyweight Championship, Richard Holiday defeats RJ Rude. It sucked. Yeah, this was not, uh, you know, there are different uh, levels of indies, right? Like when they work with the freelance indies, like when they work with like freelance wrestling in Chicago, it's like these guys aren't maybe quite evolved 
quality, but like Stevie Fierce looks great, right? Or like, or um, they looked like legitimate real wrestlers who could appear on Evolve one day. These guys were just awful. You had the one dude, RJ Rude, who looks like Big Head from Silicon Valley. And he's out there in his t-shirt. He's like the punk rock kid. And his t-shirt, it's like a Taco Bell logo, but instead of the bell, it's like a Blink-182 logo, which is like a double parody shirt, which is like some next level corny indie shit. Because it's like, I don't know, man. If you and, and it, like, if you can't communicate what you're about as a wrestler without just being like, here are the things I like, like you got to do a little better. And, and so like that happened. And then he had Richard Holiday, whose gimmick was like, he's really from New York. You know, he's he's like really walking here. You know, his his shirt is like a Mets logo, but it's in Yankees color. Like it has the Mets sort of skyline in a circle and then the Mets script. But then his his trunks have pinstripes. So he's like Mr. New Yorker. He has this like, manager who just like does not look like he doesn't have like the presentation of someone who should be on this big of a stage he but he has like, a fedora he does have a fedora he looks like a weird cousin of gabe sapolsky's kind of you know like gabe looks presentable but this guy doesn't and uh yeah it was just like the whole segment was like you know i it's cool i get you have to partner with promotions you know when you're expanding into a new market but having these guys on your show and have like a full-length match was i mean it doesn't make your company look good well that's the other part about being a major league promotion right is is partnering with major league promotions if that's what you have to do is partner with them and they've done a good job in their other partnerships mostly they're one exception that I can think of off the top of my head. But generally, you know, they brought in, even when it wasn't, you know, they featured guys who I don't think could make it and evolve on their shows before, but they mostly paired them up with other guys who were able to work at a high level. So you could cover it up in a lot of ways. Uh, this is not what we got. And they couldn't even put on like a four minute exhibition match. I mean, this went on, it seemed like forever. Yeah, I would if I were ranking the Evolve partners, um, I would say it's like beyond number one probably, then PWX, then Freelance, then AWE, then this PAPW Paradise Alley Pro Wrestling, which is Paul Roma's uh, promotion. Um, so. Yeah, I would, uh, you know, if they work with them again, I just hope that they don't have a match on the show. Real freelance burial there. but whatever. No, I thought that they did well. I think freelance <laughs> is good, but I just, I mean, I thought, well, look, with the PWX thing, it was like we got Henry and Drake out of it. Out of it. So, like, you you know, and Beyond is, like, at a higher level, I think, than those promotions. Um, although there wasn't a Beyond match on the show, so maybe you throw them out. But, uh, but yeah. You can't, PWX has to be really high because we got like a really good tag team act. Yeah, but beyond, promotion. I mean, does Beyond bring you Dijak at that point? Like, was that? No, no, that wasn't. They just like ran a double shot with them, but there wasn't any sort of like, 
guys that they brought in. I don't think. I'm just saying that was his home promotion at the time. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Uh, the next match, Fred Yehi defeated Matt Riddle with the Koji Clutch. Commentary noted this was a rubber match where they had a series that was tied at one-to-one. And interestingly, Yehi is the one who wins the series. Man, I like this a lot. Um, I thought it was – I had their first match – or not their first match, their second match, the one over Mania Weekend at four stars. I had this one again at four stars. It was um, heated in a way that met the story, like the actual story that's there between these two guys. I wish there had been more of that story that had been told outside of the ring uh, because there's a lot to be told. But they still uh, put on a match that that felt uh, heated, and uh, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I agree. It was a good, intense match. And, and you're right. It was like the right level of heatedness. We saw a little heelishness out of Matt Riddle with him, like sort of laying in those elbows on, on Yehi uh, when Yehi was in the ropes. So that was fascinating. Um, yeah, this was great. This is a great match. Um, the finishing stretch almost kind of like calls back to the finish of Matt Riddle's match against Tracy Williams, where he had those, I guess it was the three, was it the fisherman busters that he hit before he won? And then here it was like, yeah, I had had him in the Koji clutch like three times. And it was the third time that that got him. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, I don't know if I got the sequence from the last match. Quite perfect. When these shows, when when Evolve runs Friday, Saturday, I have all day Sunday to go back and rewatch things for my notes. But when they run Saturday, Sunday, it's like I have to work the next day. So it's a little tougher. So forgive <laughs> me if I got that wrong. Uh, no, but I yeah, think was, you're right, actually. All right, cool. This is great. Great match. And um yeah, I, yeah, it, it was, it was kind of, um, yeah, you have another point that you're going to make and I want to piggyback off of it after you make okay. it. Okay. Well, the one thing I wanted to say was I think the thing these guys do well is they're really good at building a match that they start on the mat and they're doing their mat exchanges, but there are a lot of wrestlers and pairs of wrestlers who have those matches and they never build from that. Uh, they don't use the mat exchanges to build the match. It's just kind of like, exhibition jerking around and then oh well let's stand up and start striking but these guys do a really good job of letting the intensity build with their mat work and then getting that up on their feet continuing to build it with the strikes and it just escalates on and on they're both really good at that and so i uh, that was something i really enjoyed something that i didn't like about the match was that i feel like i'm hammering on matt riddle but everybody likes him so he can take it uh, he comes out just like smiling, having a good old time. I mean, this guy lost the WWE Championship the night before, which should be a big thing. But he never betrays that it affected him in any way. Ron Nemi tries to sell it on commentary of like, oh, he he takes this seriously. He feels it deep inside. Well, does he? Because we never see that in his presentation. Uh, there's no... He's not selling it. I mean, he was in a last man standing match the night before, for Christ's sake. There's no selling of anything, uh, not even just the loss. Uh, if I have a hot take, this is it. Matt Riddle is bad at every part of pro wrestling that isn't wrestling and selling merch. That's it. That's the hot take. That's hot. <laughs> too hot to handle. So 
I'm going to talk about a different thing you said, which is him not talking about, you know, him being upset. And I think that it leads me to a kind of a broader point about this promotion is that I would like to see people talk more. I would like to hear from the wrestlers more because I think that there are a lot of times where you're like, I wonder what they're thinking. And it would be good to have like, I know one of its sort of distinctive qualities is that they don't have like backstage segments during the show. But I think it would be really helpful because I think it would help communicate who these people are and what they're about. Like Fred Yeha is a guy who really could use some more promo time. I mean, he has a lot of, you know, he expresses his personality in some ways in the ring. And, you know, he's a great wrestler, but it would be good to hear from him more. Um, And certainly Matt Riddle, after he loses the title, it's like, what's on his mind? What does he think about? Is he going to try to win it back? Is he going to go for the Evolve Championship? What's up with Matt? And we don't hear from him. And I think that when we hear from guys, it's good. Like after the first show, we there was they started doing some things where they're posting videos on Twitter as sort of like inline videos, which is a new sort of marketing strategy, um, which is which is a, probably a good idea. And I was into it. And it's like Chris Dickens had a great promo in the locker room about these fucking guys are gonna you know come to my hometown and you know beat me up and we're gonna you know so I so it's like it works. It works when you do that. Um, and so I want to, and especially like another thing too, is like Jocka beat Zack Sabre Jr. Tracy Williams is historically very jealous and insecure. Like there should be some tension there. And so you're like, what's Jocka think about this? When Chris, when Jocka beat Zack Sabre Jr. And Tracy Williams is going for the title the next night. What is Trey is, how does Tracy feel about Jocka's win? If he wins the title, is he going to give Jocka a shot? Uh, I, I feel like that there are some sort of, there are a lot of times where you're like, you want to like inter- intervene in the show as a journalist and be like, excuse me, you know, like, what are your thoughts? We're real journalists now. So real, yeah, I know. Now, now, now we just got to jump the barricade and be like, yeah. you know, do oh, the, let's do it. The classic. The next time you're at, the next yeah. time you're at LeBoom AT, just get us a seat on the stage. Yeah. And then just jump into the ring, man. Just get some And do a classic sort of sports journalist of being like, uh, talk about Keith Lee. You know, and then <laughs> I show him Yeah. No, dude, you need to have some hard hitting questions ready to go. Yeah. People expect real journalism from everything evolves. Yeah, it's hard though. I'm really glad that this nothing crazy happened over this weekend. It's really nice to just do a show and like talk about the things we liked and talk about the things we didn't like and like not have to be anxious about it. And, you know. Although somehow we've become a two hour podcast, apparently. Yeah, we just don't. We just like, yeah, we're very yeah. We should shut up and just go to the next segment, I guess. Sorry. Well, I've <laughs> got to. I do have to circle back to my hot take because <laughs> uh, I'm gonna get blowback on that, so I might as well. Right, explain yeah, I gotta explain it a little better. I think Matt Riddle is a great wrestler in the ring, although he, he's he been coming out of it. You know, He was in a rut there for a little while where he seemed to be doing a lot of the same stuff, but he's done a lot of different stuff recently that I've really enjoyed. He's obviously great at projecting himself, and he's got great charisma. He can sell the hell out of merch. He draws a crowd, does a lot of things well. What he doesn't do well is build stories. He projects this one character that he is, but I don't think he does a very good job of being able to sell uh, the story of what's going on. You know, Evolve is probably one of the main places he's working where there are stories. Most of the stuff he has to do doesn't involve stories. So this goes back to my earlier thought that, you know, this just that's not a thing that happens on the American Indies. That skill isn't built. And Matt Riddle has only existed on uh, for a very short time on the American Indies. I know he's worked elsewhere, but... Um, 
So it's not surprising, I guess, that he hasn't put that together. And he didn't really, you know, he came from a, he came from a UFC background, which has a lot of pro wrestling uh, to it. So you would think he would have do a better job of of selling uh, the personal issues that he's supposed to be having with some of these guys. So I would like to see him come around on that. But it's uh, it's probably a nitpick because he's so good at almost everything that you kind of want to see him be a fully formed superstar. And he's still pretty young in the business, so I guess it's fair that he's not yet. But that's something that, for me at least, and the, the way that I enjoy wrestling, would catapult him to an entirely different level if he was able to start uh, selling the, the stories a little better in these matches. I've now given a more nuanced take, I think, than the, than the one that I previously gave. That's good. People, people still uh, come for you. They do. Yeah. Have you noticed that when people come at me on Twitter, I just ignore it? Like... Yeah, I always feel like I have to be accountable and be like... Not me. Oh, I'm always like, well, good point, you know. <laughs> I never do that. Yeah. I just ignore the stuff, the tweets I don't like and I respond to the tweets I do like, basically. Yeah, so if you have a bad tweet and it gets a response, it's probably me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it probably is. Okay, the final match for the Evolve Championship. Zack Sabre Jr. defends his Evolve Championship. He beats Tracy Williams with the back bridge of doom. This was uh, – I didn't like this, A.T. Um, I hope you liked it better than I did so that we can end this show on a high note. Yeah, I thought this was good, but it wasn't where it needed to be. One of, one of the things – I thought this was a good match, but it wasn't great. One of the problems I find with the, grap- the heavy grappling guys, for me personally, my taste, I like them a lot better when they're against someone who doesn't do grappling. And when it's just like two grapple guys grappling, it's it can get a little sort of – Slow in the middle. I thought they had solid. I thought that this was a good match, though. It was interesting, especially uh, towards the end. It picked up, and and I felt like I felt like it was a good match. Um, but no one cared. Like the crowd was pretty. It felt like the crowd was pretty dead throughout. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah, sorry, I was muted. Uh, the crowd was definitely dead because, like, I was, you know. To contrast this with the Yehi and Riddle match, where they used the grappling to build, this didn't feel like it built uh, in the way that they used the grappling. I think that's, I think that's the criticism you're getting at, which is that a lot of these just grappling matches just seem to be showing off all the cool grappling encounters we can do, and uh, doesn't really escalate into uh, something a little more heated. Yeah, and it did kind of at the end, like there was some slapping and some kicks, and so it did escalate, but the escalation felt like it came on um, pretty quickly. Um, so, I, sorry. What are you doing over there, Just, uh, Shuffling some papers over here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I thought that I thought that it, it wasn't like totally like that. But, but yeah, and it's just with Tracy, it's like, I like him and I am rooting for him to succeed. And I would like it if they went back to like showing us more of his character. But he's, the reality is he's not over to where his push is right now. It's just not working. He's been slotted up pretty high as far as being kind of a main eventer. And while he had a great match with Matt Riddle last month, or maybe not a uh, main eventer, but he's like just below that tier. Right. He's just below the big three. Um, it just doesn't feel 
like people care about him. Even if his matches are good and they get into him, you don't get the sense. You know, he gets a lot, he gets some hot sauce chance at Laboom, but it feels kind of obligatory. And it just doesn't, I don't know, it's not, I feel like we need a little more, so I don't know what's missing, but it's just, it's not there right now, I feel like. Is that, you know, a legitimate criticism? Oh, you're totally right. I think I've almost been trying to talk myself into Tracy Williams for a while because, Same. because I watch this promotion a lot and he's not going anywhere. So I might as I either got to get into him or just hate watching his matches. And, uh, although I do think he was making some progress with his, with his emotion and the way he got his character across. And it just, this seemed like a big backslide this whole weekend. That it, it seemed like, uh, a lot of those heatless, like back when he was having that tag title run and every match was like 40 minutes long and nothing happened. It kind of like, that felt like, we were back in that era of Tracy. So that was a real bummer for me. Um, th- I thought there was a great match to be had between these two guys where they really would, would have been a lot like the Yehide uh, Matt Riddle match. I mean, if you look, well, there's a million Zach Saber Jr. matches I can point to, but he can really brutally attack somebody on the ground and build the intensity of a match that way. And I thought they could kind of trade that off in this match because Tracy showed that ability last month, but it just it didn't come together that way. So it was uh, it was a bummer. After the match, okay, we haven't seen the end in a long time on this show. They finally do come out. Zach uh, runs away as soon as he wins the title; he's gone. So that made me even more confident that the end was about to come out. Uh, they give a, a big power bomb to Tracy Williams. Dickinson and Jaka come out uh, to fight alongside uh, Dom Garini, you know, their other catch point uh, brethren. Then we get uh, the mid-card baby faces. We get Brandon Watts, Jason Kincaid, Shane Mercer, Darby Allen. And then we do this little segment where all the baby faces get to do some sort of high-flying move, which was so bizarre in the moment. It's like, wait why are we having the end guys, these these two big dudes who just debuted and they're supposed to be monsters, why are they bumping for every single, well, not bumping necessarily, but, you know, they were definitely uh, being affected by these, uh, by these little, these little guys uh, doing their, their uh, aerial moves. Uh, the cool part, I mean, apart, if you divorce it from the context of this angle, the cool part was when Darby Allen jumped up on a basketball hoop and did a coffin drop off of the basketball hoop. I wasn't sure he was going to get up there at first, uh, but he made it and uh, it ruled out outside of the context of what was going on here. So basically the end guys run away. Uh, Perot, friend of the show, Perot, I must say, uh, my man like bumps into the door or you know the thing in between the door as he's walking out. And the mid-card baby faces are standing tall. Kincaid gets the mic, thanks to fans. This is just the beginning of their fight against the end. It's so the crowd seemed to love it, which I was confused by uh, because for some reason the the invading bad dudes uh, got repelled on their second night in the promotion. Yeah, well, the crowd loved it because they were cool dives. Like people yeah, love sure. dives. And so if you, and especially like dives are really cool when you're there. 
Um, so yeah, so the, so they popped the crowd in the short term, but I think long term this was a big mistake. And I think that the end was overall a disappointment. I thought that uh, Dreden, Perot, and Odinson looked good. And I haven't, you know, I haven't watched FIP really, so I haven't seen them wrestle except for Perot's very brief uh, appearance in the WWN championship match over Mania weekend. So I can't speak to how good they are as wrestlers, but they came off good here. They came up, they did their job of coming off mean and intimidating. But I feel that they were oversold online, right? Because they were presented as an existential threat to evolve, as we said earlier. And we, you know, saw that there were all these, you know, intimations that they would be going for Gabe Sapolsky himself. And then they came out and they were just like an upper mid-card stable, which is fine if they had just been sort of, you know, um, like, you know, introduced as, you know, POD, as you said before, you know, and they were just, you know, like these big bad guys are coming to the promotion. Um this would have been good, right? It's like, here's this cool faction. They're here to feud with Catchpoint. It seems um, this is great. But I think that they made it seem like this, they were going to be like a main event level acts and that they were going to, you know, really, really threaten the, the future of the company. And in the second show, they're already being turned away by the baby faces. They're already retreating and there's no show next month. And so there's no like, it's not like, man, they beat the crap out of the, you know, man, the end took everyone out and now we got to see them like who can stand up to them. And it's like, we already know it's like Catchpoint and uh, Brandon Watts, Jason Kincaid, Shane Mercer and Darby Allen. That's who can stand up to them. They just did it. Um, and we also, it's like they either needed to be dominant or we needed some kind of promo to learn about why they were there and what was motivating them because we didn't get that out of them. So it was just kind of like, I don't know. It didn't pack the punch that I felt that it needed to. And I feel as if, um, yeah, it was a letdown. They built this up to be more than it was, at least for now. And who knows, maybe there we'll get a great online video and we'll sort of learn more about their motivations and they can build from there. But I think that, um, right now it, it stands as, as a bit of a disappointment and it's also confusing. As we mentioned earlier, the stuff with catch point, I think that, at the end of this weekend, I'm left asking, like, what's going on? Like, what's happening now? As opposed to asking what will happen next with anticipation, right? I'm more confused than excited. And I think that that's sort of tells you how, in what ways that this was kind of a failure in how it was presented. Yeah, and it's really particularly bad when you're going into having a month off. So it's going to be so hard to keep people invested and interested in this promotion. Maybe, maybe if you'd ended this show with everybody dead and, you know, the, the POD guys standing tall, boom, here come the boys from the South. Wow. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect musical reference for some of our more cultured listeners. Exactly. Those who have read books. Um, Then maybe, I mean, it'd be hard still because you got these FIP guys that, that most Evolve watchers probably don't know about as, as well as uh, some other folks. Or if you kept them apart from the big three all along and then you maybe you get a stare down at the end of the show of like, wait, we're going to defend Evolve. 
uh, then maybe you can keep people invested. You can have to do a lot of work with uh, videos, you know, Twitter to keep things heated up. But now it's like, I don't know. You're going to have to, a lot of people when, when December comes are not going to remember like, oh God, I've got to watch these Evolve shows. I've got to head to WWNLive.com and make sure I have my live viewing only feed because uh, there's just nothing to, there's nothing to get excited about to like, you just have to see uh, in December. Yeah. I um I absolutely agree. And it and it almost just feels like like Keith Lee, Matt Riddle, and Zach Sabre Jr., like these guys weren't an important enough threat for them to care about. It's like they're, you know Yeah, that that's a great take actually. It's like if they don't care and if they don't care, why should we care? Right. So Yeah, kind of a bummer there. But we'll see what happens. Well, luckily, there is something to look forward to on the December shows because we found out that uh, we talked earlier about December 9 at the Elm Course Center and December 10 at Melrose Memorial Hall. We're going to have the next shows and Walter will be on those shows. So we saw Walter a few months ago when they were uh, in New York, when Progress was there. And now we're getting Walter back. We also got a post-show video with Keith Lee making an open challenge for the WWN title. And my man, AT, uh, put the dots together immediately. What are we getting here, AT? I think we're getting the Walter Keith Lee uh, Evolve singles match that we wanted back in uh, back over the summer. Do you think, that they'll, do, you think they'll, they'll do another double shot with Progress? I think they would have already announced that if Progress were coming. Maybe, but it's like they're bringing in Walter. They're running the Elm Corps Center again. Um, do you think it's just that they couldn't get Laboom for some reason or that they're expecting that Walter is going to draw so much more of a crowd that it makes sense <laughs> to go back to Elm Corps? Or do you think that there's something brewing perhaps? Hmm. I hope there's something brewing because otherwise this is going to be a really sad event. Because I don't think Walter's going to draw a ton of... I mean, some people are going to show up to watch Walter, for sure. But they're not going to fill the Elm Corps Center based on uh, Walter versus Keith Lee, I don't think. Um, I don't know. There seemed to be sort of a bad taste after the last cards. The Progress folks were clearly not dealing with people's complaints about the way uh, things went down at the venue. So I'm not even sure they would run with them again. Um, well, they're running together over WrestleMania weekend. That's so true. That's that true. That so, relationship is working well enough to do that. All right, my and take sucks. The building. Damn. Damn. I mean, yeah. Um, the building is probably not going to be hot as hot in December right. as it was in That's August. Right. Oh yeah, somebody already uh, made like tweeted yeah. about. I can't believe they're running that hot building, dude. It's like it's, it's not going to be hot as long as they have heat. It'll be good. I hope yeah. it's not a cold building, but uh, right. Uh, I don't know. I, I think they would have already announced progress if, if they were running with progress. Uh, but we'll see if I'm wrong. The, the, mo the funniest thing about it is that two geeks talked a while back about why on earth would they spend this match building to a Walter versus Keith Lee match? That's never going to happen. What a bunch of nerds. The wrong boys brand remains strong. <laughs> it's super strong, dude. Uh, so we do have that to look forward to. I wonder if Walter is like, uh, 
I don't know. I had this like fever dream that maybe uh, Tim Thatcher's contract wasn't up and this is like a trade for Tim Thatcher. You can have Tim Thatcher in WXW if Walter uh, comes back and does a little thing. Yeah, that's, I don't know. That's possible. That's just complete we'll conjecture. But I, but yeah, I don't know. If we, we talked about them being a major league promotion and having Walter on your show is definitely that's major uh, league. Is a point in the major league column. Absolutely, for sure. All right, I think that's everything we wanted to get to on this show. We went way longer than I anticipated, for sure. Uh, but thank you guys for coming back. Sorry we couldn't bring crazy drama on this show, but we're just two dudes who really want to talk about wrestling. And uh, we enjoyed that everyone listened to our last two shows. But uh, going forward, we hope to just talk about Evolve and what goes on in the promotion. Yeah, I will take the fewer listeners for the lack of stress. Yes, me too. Uh, and I will take the promotion that we follow not being like in the middle of all sorts of really bad drama for them. Uh, but good for numbers, I guess. So, all right. Well, this was fun just talking about wrestling again. Good to be with you, AT, as always. want to remind all our listeners that you can find us at VoicesOfWrestling.com on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network and on the podcast app of your choice. You can also subscribe to the Everything Evolves feed independently on iTunes. Uh, so make sure to do that. Rate, review, and subscribe. Make sure you get the wrong boys directly onto your iPhone as soon as possible. I don't know. We probably have a lot of Android listeners. Just Yeah, like, we got to figure that out soon. Yeah, for sure. So uh, make sure you do that. Keep checking back with us. We're not going to be back for a while. So make sure you follow us at EvolvePod. Catch me at Aaron Like the Car and Aaron Taub at AP Taub so that we can get off our takes because we're not going to be back until December. So I'm sorry that you're not going to have the wrong boys in your life, uh, but we promise to bring back something hot uh, just in time for it to get cold for everybody out there. So I'm Aaron for Aaron. We'll see you next time. Here it comes again. Lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.